Morning, Warden. Man, that beat drops pretty hard on that thing. It's not some of you jump, eh? It's, whoa. It's cool. That's the, that's, that, we, did, we put that in there just to get you, boom, boom, get your, get your attention just before we get into the Word. Amen? Oh, man, I'm so thankful for Joel and our worship team and everybody who leads up here and their faithfulness. It's just so good. And the words of these songs this morning, I'm just thinking about uh, the words of the song Champion and how it fits in with understanding Jesus as the better priest this morning. And hopefully you kind of, that kind of resonates. The Holy Spirit's pretty awesome that way, how he just works things together and he just makes things flow. So I, I, I'm going to just dive right in today. Uh, we've got a pretty big topic this morning, Jesus is the better priest, and I just want to get right in and uh, there's going to be a little bit of teaching this morning, but at the end, I just want to bring it all together and give you a challenge and remind you how blessed we are to have a great high priest, amen? And how blessed we are to be the priesthood of all believers, amen? Amen. One thing that we can be clear about in uh, the epistle of Hebrews is that the people understood their need of a priest. Can you bring my volume down just a bit? I just feel like. They're aware of their need of a priest, of a mediator, of a guarantor, a surety. Um, what they were struggling with is whether to continue relying on the Levitical priesthood or accept Christ as the perfect priest and king. So when we look at priests and in our understanding of priests today, we understand it as someone who is authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediatory agent between humans and God. We look at the priest as the one who helps us communicate and, 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 and yeah, communicate what's on our heart to God. That would be kind of the current understanding in society today. In understanding what a priest is scripturally, we must understand uh, the context of mediation necessary. Uh, to do that, we need to acknowledge three things. First thing we need to understand is that we are created. We are created. Uh, we are created by God whose motivation was pure love to be his children and to enjoy his presence. We were created. And the second thing we need to understand is that we were created to be social. We are social beings. We were created to enjoy his company, and in reality, all the joys of life that we experience between ourselves and others are expressions of his love, love, laughter, empathy, all these things, compassion, admiration, safety, happiness, fulfillment, joy. What a gift friendship is. What a gift family is. What a gift it is to be able to commune with other people and spend life with other people. And what a gift it is to be able to commune with the God of all creation. Thirdly, we need to understand that we are sinful. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We were born in sin. It's hard for us to imagine that when we look at a little baby. But everybody has an inclination in their heart the Bible talks about how the heart is deceitful in every way. We have this desire to sin. Sin is in us. Though we enjoy expressions of his love as his created, the pure communion he originally had planned for us was interrupted by sin, by disobedience. Sin entered the world through disobedience, and the relationship, the originally intended communion, was broken. The law was not established on tablets of stone at that point, 
but it became the only way to approach God from then on. And even as we look at in Scripture, uh, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, the, the shame entered the world and they became aware of their nakedness and animals had to be killed and skins had to be provided to cover their sins. And in, in essence, you know, we see the first sacrifice that was offered for somebody's sins to cover up their shame. The law was not established on tablets, like I said, but at that point, uh, but it became the only way to approach God from then on. Sin separated us from God, and we needed a mediator. The law, as described in the Old Testament, was an impossible list of regulations, and it highlighted uh, that we cannot by ourselves and through any efforts of our own take care of the sin that's in our being, that's in our life. We needed a mediator. We need a mediator. The relationship between God and man was severed by disobedience and sin, and we need a savior. We need a mediator. We needed a perfect prophet, priest, and king to deal with our sin. Amen? Good, you're still with me. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. Lord Jesus, there's just so much information packed into this epistle that was written to the Jewish Christians. And I just pray, O oh God, today that you would open up this word and you would solidify in our hearts our need of a mediator. Lord Jesus, that you sit at the right hand of the Father and you intercede on our behalf. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for being our great high priest. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive from your word today, that you would give me clarity of thought and speech as I present it. And that we would just trust you, Lord Jesus, in this process to teach us so that we would hear what we need to hear and that we'd be challenged and we'd be willing to change because we've heard your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to slide through quite a bit of scripture in Hebrews today. So just pace with me, maybe mark, mark the scriptures down as you go and you can go back and and read some of these scriptures. I'm not going to read them all in their entirety, but I'm going to kind of break them down as best I can for you. Hebrews 4, 14, down through 5, 10, uh, the author contrasts the great high priest, which is Jesus, with the historical Levitical priests. And we need to start here. we got to understand this right away. First of all, the great high priest ascended into heaven, it says in chapter 4, verse 14. It says that he's the son of God, in verse 14, it says he is able to empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way and remains sinless. Thank you, Jesus. As a result, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and grace in our time of need. Maybe today you've been approaching God, but you've been approaching a little timidly. Maybe you've been trying to sneak into the throne room. i got to tell you this morning, God has the door swung wide open for you. He doesn't intend for you to come in and wait for the scepter to be rose like Esther. He intends you to come in and speak boldly to your Father. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for your, on your behalf. And he can empathize with this because he lived on this earth. He understands the temptations. He understands what you go through. He understands your life difficulties. He understands what's all going on. He's been here. He knows what you go through. 
Praise God, I, I can almost stop right there, right? <laughs> well, these few short verses highlight the characteristics of a priest we needed. First of all, we needed to understand that the priest had to be fully God. He had to be perfect, he had to be fully God. He had to be able to enter the true tabernacle in heaven that the earthly one was a copy of. So the, the understanding of the tabernacle that's described in the Old Testament in Leviticus, Numbers, and, and, and the Torah... <laughs> That was a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. In chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 1, it says, We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hallelujah. And who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? You know, you can talk back at me. I don't mind. If you like what I'm saying, yell at me. Say, that's good, preacher. Or whatever you want to say. Verse 5 also says of the Old Testament priests, they serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This understanding is consistent through Hebrews, and you can even find other references like chapter 9, 23. We also need to understand that not only was he fully God, he also needed to be fully human. Jesus lived a sinless life, tempted and tested as we are, and overcame, which enables him to empathize with our struggles and weaknesses like no other priest could. He's a mediator. No other mediator or minister could ever do what Jesus did. So when we understand the great high priest who he was, we also need to understand the regular Levitical high priest uh, that's described in Scripture. Levitical high priest was selected from among the people to represent the people in matters related to God. They were to mediate between God and man. They had an important role. They offered gifts and sacrifices for sin. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, they were able to deal gently with the ignorant, misled, and lost. It says in verse 2 of chapter 5, because they were also subject to weakness which necessitated that they offer sacrifices not only for their own sins, but for all the people. They were not sinless. They were not God's son. They were imperfect mediators. This is why they had to offer sacrifices for themselves and for the people. We need to understand this morning, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it was not for himself. He stood there. He hung there holy for you. He took upon himself and nailed the sins of the world to that cross that day. He did not hang there for any reason, any need of himself. Chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. I told you I was going to move through these scriptures pretty fast this morning. There's a lot to deal with. Chapter 5, verses 5 to 10 reminds us that just as the Old Testament priest came to this position by call or appointment, Christ also was appointed as well. And a passage that I don't have a whole lot of time to go through in the interest of time this morning was Psalm 110. There was recorded an oath that was made. And it highlights this in Psalm 110. It highlights the fact that, that Christ was appointed and it says that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, back in Hebrews again, clarifies this further. He says in verse 8, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
do we stop to think of what we can learn when we're suffering? The things we go through. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The understanding is repeated again in chapter 6, verse 19. It says, we have this hope, hallelujah, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But why? Why on earth is the fact that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek Important. Why does it matter? Why did he have to be from a different line than the line of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood? We need to understand this if we're going to understand Jesus as the perfect priest. And there are three parties that we need to look at. Three parties that are involved here. One is Melchizedek, King Melchizedek. The other one is the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. And then we've, we're going to close out by talking about Jesus. Melchizedek. We first hear about him in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. The only three verses in all of the Old Testament that talk about Melchizedek outside of Psalm 110. He is introduced as the king of Salem, the king of peace, and priest of God most high, who seems to appear almost out of nowhere after Abraham and his allies pursued the Canaanite kings who had captured Abraham's nephew Lot. It is miraculous that we hear these grand statements about Melchizedek, but then there's not much else talked about him in Scripture, not until Psalm 110 and then later in Hebrews. Melchizedek blesses Abraham, acknowledges the God Most High as creator and deliverer, and offers bread and wine to Abraham after his victory. We don't have to get into time to get into the implications of, the, of uh, communion there. That he offered bread and wine and the communion that took place there is a great foreshadowing. It also says that Abraham then tithed and gave a tenth to the king. After this, he is not mentioned again, as I mentioned, until generations later in Psalm 110. And then generations later again in the letter to the Hebrews. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Salem coming from the word shalom, and Salem was widely believed to be Jerusalem. It says in chapter 7 of Melchizedek, listen to this. He was without father or mother. He was without genealogy, without beginning of days and end of life. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Verse 4 says, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Who in the world are we talking about here? Some believe that he's a, the pre-incarnate Christ. <clears throat> that means that before the incarnation, before Jesus Christ came to earth, in Bethlehem, which we're going to celebrate in just a month, and I hope you celebrate every day. Before he came, there's, there's times in Scripture where people believe that Jesus appeared. I preached a couple weeks ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth that stood in the fire. Many believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus Christ who was standing in there. Some believe that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. At the very least, he is a type of Christ. Christ. 
He's a foreshadowing of the Christ to come, of the priest that is going to come, the great high priest, the priest and the mediator that we needed. Melchizedek's superiority is displayed through his public acknowledgement of God's power, creation, and Abraham's deliverance from his enemies and through his blessing of Abraham. And because he accepted a tithe from Abraham, the author describes this further in 7.7 when he says, and without doubt the lesser Abraham is blessed by the greater Melchizedek. Can you imagine the looks on the face of the Jewish Christians reading this letter when they said that the, the man, Abraham, who received the promises of Genesis 12, of the great covenant that God made with Abraham, he was the one who received the promises. He's speaking to these Jewish Christians and he's saying that Melchizedek is the greater and Abraham is the lesser. And Abraham tithed to the greater. I struggle with people who say that tithing has ceased because we're not under the law anymore. This predates the law. This is the order of Melchizedek. This is a standard that was set in place before the law was put in place. The author is saying that this little-known king-priest is greater than the patriarch Abraham, greater than the father of all the Jewish people. Side note, it's interesting. <laughs> Chapter 5, verses 4, 11 to 14, you know, the author also approaches the Jewish Christians and tells them, you know, it's about time you get from, from the spiritual milk you're drinking. It's time to grow up and start chewing on some meat and start getting into the, the meat of the word. Well, I think he takes that very seriously here in chapter 7, doesn't he? He helps him jump right into the pond. <laughs> so first, we need to understand who Melchizedek is. Second, we need to understand the Levitical priesthood, the line of Aaron, the Levites were the priestly line of Aaron, the priests in the tabernacle, the priests in the tabernacle had to be a Levite. And you've probably all, many of you have probably heard that all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Other Levites did other things, but in order to be a priest, you had to be a, a Levite in the Levitical priesthood. It stands to reason. The duties of a Levitical priest included the teaching of the law in Leviticus chapter 10, Offering the sacrifices, Leviticus chapter 9. Maintaining the tabernacle and the temple. Officiating the holy place, it says in Exodus 30. Inspecting ceremonial unclean persons. In Leviticus 13 and 14, we find the descriptions there. They adjudicated disputes in Deuteronomy 17. They received the tithes from the people in Numbers chapter 18 and reinforced here in Hebrews, Hebrews 7. Verse 5, Melchizedek was not from the line of Aaron. He was not from the Levitical priesthood. He was not a Levite, yet still he, can, he collected a tithe from Abraham. This is a noteworthy point. Chapter 7, verses 8 and 9 so solidifies the clear difference between Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood. Chapter 7, again, beginning of verse 8, it says, In the one case, the tenth is collected by the people who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. The Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priests are just regular people who die. He's referring to Melchizedek as the one who is still living. One might even say the Levi, uh, that Levi who collects the tenth paid 
the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. The Levites were descendants of Abraham. If Abraham, Levi's great-grandfather, paid tithes to Melchizedek, it shows the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood, priestly order throughout the generations. The priesthood of Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek. As such, his contrast is sharply with the Levitical priesthood that was after the order of Abraham, Levi, and Aaron. After all, Jesus was from the line of Judah. Jesus was not a Levite. Yet he is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. King Melchizedek blesses the one whom the Jewish people would have believed to be the most blessed. Abraham, the one who received the promises of God in Genesis 12. Abraham received the promises of the covenant, yet Melchizedek was handing out the blessings. The reference to Melchizedek in this passage can be a lot to take in on a Sunday morning, but the author is establishing that Jesus was a superior priest, a superior mediator, because he came from a superior priestly order. So let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need of another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Perfection through the Levitical priesthood was not attainable. The Levitical priesthood was set up for us to make an attempt. I want to bring this all together this morning by reading Hebrews 7, 15 to 28. I'm going to read this lengthy passage, and I just, I just, honestly, I just can't say it any better than this. But I just want to read down through Verses 15 to 28, just pace with me and let's just pay attention to a few moments here. And what we have said is even more clear, beginning of verse 15 in chapter 7. It says, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. Another priest, Jesus. This is who he's talking about. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation, not according to Levitical priesthood, as to his ancestry, but... On the basis of the power of an indestructible life, he is my champion. Giants fall when he stands undefeated. Power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, and we're going back now to Psalm 110 again, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. It was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled by Jesus. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near. Do you understand that he mediated so that we could draw near to him again? The whole point of his mediation, the whole point of our great high priest, the great perfect priest, is so that we could then once again enter the throne room of God. 
walk in the cool of the day with him, to, to, to live our life understanding that we can be fully in the presence of God no matter where we are. And it was not without an oath. Psalm 110, remember? Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, again, Psalm 110 says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So many messianic psalms that are worth paying attention to and digging in deeper. Psalm 110 is one. Psalm 2 is another. Psalm 22 is another. There's so many. Talks about the coming Savior, the coming priest. Verse 22 in chapter 7 says, Because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor, a mediator, our Savior, our priest, our surety of a better covenant. Now there has been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. The Levitical priests all died and, and, and death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, because he's in the order of Melchizedek, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First he is first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is the gospel. This is the truth. For the law appoints his high priests, men, in all their weaknesses. Oh, I feel that today. Do you? Did you wake up? I woke up this morning feeling my weaknesses. I was sitting in my, my, uh, on my couch, and I'm writing in my journal, talking to God, and I'm saying, God, I just feel this weird amount of anxiety today. And I asked the one who sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for me this morning. Oh, that brings me comfort. To sit on my couch and feel the divine presence of the tabernacle that inhabits the Son of God. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has, made, who has been made perfect forever. I want to include, let's go back to, to, to verse 25 for a second. It says, therefore he is able to save completely. Everybody say, save completely. Oh, that's pretty good. You're still with me. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. First thing you need to understand this morning is if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved completely because of what he's done. 
He saves us fully, absolutely, and for all time. His power knows no limits, and his life knows no end. Because of that promise, if you accept Christ this morning, that for eternity your life will know no end. Oh, come on. The work was completed through his death and resurrection, providing what no human mediator could, salvation from our sins through his grace and mercy. The wrath of God was satisfied. We don't like to talk about that word wrath too much. The wrath of God was satisfied and perfect justice was realized. We cannot enter heaven without his perfect justice. We cannot understand that this cannot be done without the wrath of God. We need to understand that when Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes, he's interceding still and holding back the wrath of God. Because one day he's going to return and he's going to bring his perfect justice. That is the complete work of our mediator, our perfect high priest, a better priest. Better almost doesn't do it here. He's the best. He's the greatest of all time. He's the goat of priests. <laughs> the wrath of God was satisfied and perfect justice was realized for our sin through the precious blood of Christ. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved completely. And today you have a chance to do that if you haven't accepted him. Maybe you're sitting in your seat today and you're here and you maybe you went to church when you were younger and something brought you back here today. Today you have the opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit who's speaking to your heart right now in Jesus' name. Don't respond because you hear my voice. Respond because you feel him called. If you respond because you hear my voice, you're not responding to the right call. You respond because the Holy Spirit's using me. And you feel him speak to your heart. You speak to the sin that's in your heart. And tell you that he has an answer for that sin. If you feel him speaking to your heart today, you're going to have a moment. In just a few moments, actually don't wait for me to pray a prayer with you. Pray and ask him into your life right now. You don't need me. That's what makes his mediation great, is that you get to speak to Jesus, who sits at the right hand of Father, yourself right now. When you speak, you're speaking to the perfect high priest. You're speaking, and your words enter the throne room of God. I love this. I love the story of Cornelius. It says that, you know, when he gave alms and, he, and the things that he did, he didn't even know that he was serving Christ. He didn't know what it meant to serve Christ. And Peter was called to go and tell the gospel to Cornelius. But it says that his the things he was doing, the, the giving of alms and the, how he was taking care of the poor, all these things reached the throne room of God as a memorial offering in the presence of God and became a sweet-smelling Savior. It became pleasing to your perfect priest. You pray right now, you speak to him, and oh, his heart is going to delight. If you invite him into your heart this morning, Secondly, he saves completely. Secondly, he lives to intercede. I want to dig here just a little bit this morning. Just be patient with me. We often refer to what he has done for us in saving us completely, but our perfect priest continues in the present. 
It's not like he did his work and he's up in heaven sitting in a recliner waiting for us to show up. Our perfect priest continues in the presence, interceding at the right hand of the Father for each of us. And this is mirrored in our understanding of salvation. I've mentioned this already before. Justification, right? We accept him and he makes it just as if we've never sinned. But the sanctification we're living out, we need our intercessor. We need our mediator. When we speak to him, he understands everything you've gone through. He understands what you're living through right now. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if you need a job. I don't know if you're tired of the sickness. I don't know if you're dealing with anxiety. I don't know if you're dealing with depression. I don't know if your child is sick. I don't know if you can't make your car payment. I don't know what's going on, but he knows. And when you speak his name, Jesus you're speaking to the great high priest. Your voice enters the throne room of God. And he speaks at the throne room on your behalf. It was a common belief at the time of the writing of Hebrews to believe in the intercession on our behalf was made by angels which is probably why the author opens Hebrews, establishing Jesus' superiority over the angels. They were probably, there was probably confusion in this area. And he just deals with it in chapter 1, right out of the gate. And Raymond Brown, in his commentary on Hebrews, explains why Jesus is better intercessor than the angels could ever be. And he does it quite beautifully. He says this, he says, He intercedes for us meaningfully. For unlike the angels, he has firsthand experience of our trials. We think, well, he was God walking on this earth. No, in the, Garden of e in the Garden of Gethsemane, he felt the anxiety. But he prayed, just like it says in Philippians 4, that when you don't be anxious for anything, but, but with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God. He did those very words. He presented his requests to the God of all creation. He felt the temptation of lust. He felt the temptation uh, that was around for power. He felt all the temptations that the enemy came and offered him in the desert. He felt all those things. They were there pulling at him just like they would pull at you and me. He's gone through what you go through. He's lived this life. He's walked this earth. He's seen the sickness of man. He's seen the greed of man firsthand. He's been here. He's watched the corruption. He knows what's going on in the world. He knows your needs better than we know, than anybody knows. Better than even what you've written in your journal that you withhold, even though you're writing it on paper sometimes. Isn't that crazy that shame can make us withhold stuff that is in a private book? It happens sometimes. It says he intercedes for us meaningfully, for unlike the angels, he has firsthand experience of our trials. He intercedes for us compassionately, for unlike the angels, he knows exactly what we need. Empathy is looking at somebody and understanding their need. Compassionately, compassionate is a verb. It means you're going to act upon it. You're going to do something about it. Empathy is to see the need, to feel in your heart, to feel the remorse that somebody's going through pain. Compassion, when you exercise the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, you act to fix that need, to interject and to mediate for them and to show them the love of Jesus Christ. 
because we are also part of the perfect priesthood of all believers. And every time you compassionately interject in somebody's life and you respond to the empathy that's in your heart that the Holy Spirit has put there, what you're doing is you're functioning as a priest and you're mediating between you and Jesus, them and Jesus, and you're showing them the love of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you act in compassion, it says that you're offering spiritual sacrifices to the God of all creation. And just like in the story of Cornelius, they entered the throne room of God like a sweet-smelling savor. All your things you do in the name of Jesus, reach the throne room of heaven. And they please our Heavenly Father. Their worship to the God of all creation. He knows exactly what we need. The last part of that quote says he intercedes for us effectively. unlike the angels, he has the power to meet our needs. We can have all the ideas. Sometimes we get so frustrated because we can't do what we want to do in the kingdom of God. But he has the power. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his suffering so that someday I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You have the power of the resurrection at your disposal through the power of the Holy Spirit through the divine priesthood of all believers he has the experience he knows what we need and he has the power to provide that is who I want to intercede for me when I pray that is who hears my cries that is who understands my needs that who's that is who understands my struggles and confirms my hopes the better perfect prophet priest and king praise god <laughs> let me just read these last couple of passages for your encouragement to remind you of who you are in Christ Jesus this morning cuz when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see you're frustrated with who you are. You are made in the image of Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become part of a spiritual house. Just listen to 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. It says, as you came to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's you. As believers, that's you. He says, offering spiritual sacrifices, the compassion, the love, when you stand in the gap for somebody, when you mediate for somebody between them and Jesus, you offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And when I say mediate, all I'm saying is that you're just giving opportunity for the Holy Spirit to reach them. And then we slide down to verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people. Hallelujah. A royal priesthood. Understand who you are to God. Understand how God sees you as being made in his image. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he intercedes daily for that mercy. Father, sometimes I read the word of God and I feel like standing in this platform and just reading it out word for word and I certainly could have done that today. When I read through Hebrews and I understand who you are and what you provided for us, creator, deliverer, mighty God, Prince of Peace. When I begin to understand that you stood in the gap for me and I begin to recognize that you're a mediator from a better priestly order than the Levitical priesthood. You're the God of all creation. You are perfect. You understand our needs. You understand our situations, oh God. And you sit at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus, and you speak my words to him, oh God. You hear my cries and you speak my cries to the God of all creation, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you've opened our way, oh God, to the presence of the King. We don't have the fear coming, Lord, as it says in Hebrews 12, which we're going to get to in a couple weeks. We don't have the fear, the approach anymore, oh God. You invite us into the presence of God. And everywhere we are, oh God, when we speak your name, we are in your throne room. Hallelujah. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. It's a hard thing to say and to understand that we are part of a spiritual priesthood. That everything we do, Lord, in your name, for your kingdom, O oh God, we do it as a spiritual sacrifice to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just thank him together? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid to lift your voice in this place this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth and standing in the gap for each one of us. Oh, God, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for walking through the valleys with us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for understanding that we go through, oh, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our perfect high priest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you haven't accepted the Lord as your Savior, I got to tell you, this is something you don't need me to act as a priest with you for. You can speak directly to the Son of God this morning. You can tell him and say, God, I was born in sin. I feel that. I struggle against it every day. But I understand that you've mediated for me and you've made a way for me to come to you sinless. Think about that for a minute. That he can wrap you in righteousness, make you holy. And yeah, when you leave here, you may sin again. You will sin again. But you know you'll feel, you'll feel the pull of the Holy Spirit reminding you, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so then when you sin again the next time, Go through the Holy Spirit and let him remind you again. Let's not do that anymore. 
Let him keep walking with you. Jesus will keep interceding for you. When you leave here, he will keep interceding for you. He keeps speaking for you. Keeps understanding. He understands what you go through. He, He will be your friend. He will walk with you, and he will speak to the God of all creation on your behalf. He's not going to leave you here. When you get up from here and you walk out of this sanctuary that we have dedicated to the Lord, he goes with you. He lives in your heart, and he speaks to you, and he speaks to the Father for you. So this morning, I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. You don't have to say it just like me, but if you don't know what to say and how to say you can repeat what I say. But I encourage you just to speak to him by yourself. It doesn't have to sound like anything. It just needs to be you speaking to Jesus, saying, God, I have sinned. Please come into my heart. Change me. Father, we love you today. And together as a room today, Lord, we rededicate our lives to you. And we say, Holy Spirit, come. Remind us of what you've done in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. For those, Lord, who might be accepting you for the first time today, Lord, give them the courage. Understand that they've come to an um, all-powerful, indestructible God. And that you come and you live within them, Lord Jesus. Today, oh God, if they accept you, Lord, they become part of the benefits of the first fruits, Lord Jesus. So one day they'll spend eternity with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you today, oh God. We invite you fresh into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are here and you've accepted the Lord as your Savior today, if you came with a friend, would you confess that to them? Come confess to me. The word tells us that, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has saved you from. Today you can be saved. Confess it, speak it aloud. I guarantee you if you've done it already that, that already the heavens are rejoicing. And this is something the angels do do. They don't mediate on your behalf, but they do rejoice. Amen. Praise God. Let's just maybe can we just worship just for a moment before we leave and uh, and Joel will just close in prayer in a moment. But let's just take some time. Ask the Holy Spirit, take some time and ask him to seal this word in your heart this morning. Amen. Bless you today.